0: We close out our series called Follow Me through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's been an adventure. It's been good. Hopefully you've been blessed by it. And we're going to cover all 15 verses of 3rd John tonight. So the context um, is very similar to 1st and 2nd John. He's writing to uh, what we believe to be a series of house churches around Ephesus, which is the church that he spent the most time with, uh, pouring into in his ministry. And uh, there's a little bit of conflict going on tonight. We see um, that... John, through first and second John, has shown himself to be a spiritual father to the ephesians he He loves the church, uh, of course he, is, he he was jesus' best friend he He walked uh, with Jesus in a way and had a perspective of jesus that that uh, no one else had and so He then, being a disciple maker, a shepherd, a pastor to the Ephesian church, um, he cares about them, and he sees that they had some drama going on, and in most of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, primarily 1st and 2nd John, you see a common Greco-Roman uh, style of writing called amplification, um, where they take one or two or three or four themes and, and they simply digest it over and, over and over and over and over and over and just come different angles at each one. So you hear things like love one another or abide in Jesus, talking about contrast, uh, imagery, light versus dark, good versus evil, uh, all that stuff. John has, um, he has come at every angle possible. But tonight in 3 John is a little bit different because he's not writing just to the church. He's writing to an individual about some conflict in the church. So the main topic for tonight in 3 John is that disciples, you and I, people who want to follow Jesus, we partner in mission. So it's not just an individual thing all under the banner of the church, but we together link arms and we partner for the sake of a bigger uh, mission. Now, It's a little bit tricky because of the conflict involved, there's really kind of three sub themes that all gel together to make that primary topic for tonight. And let's walk through that. The first one is the mission. So here's the the big picture, 30,000 foot view of what's going on is Jesus has a mission. Do you guys know what that mission is? Yeah, he wants to save people, right? So he wants us to be disciple-makers. He calls us on the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. That's the backdrop. That's that's the the big picture of this book, is that there's missionaries going out and, and to the churches, and so John is addressing a conflict specifically related to how they welcomed the missionaries that were going through Ephesus. So that's the big picture, is mission. You and I get to partake in that. The second one is unity. So big picture, there's a mission. We all get to be a part of it. We get to make disciples. And the way that we do that on the ground, so 30 foot, thousand foot view, um, is that we have a mission on the ground. We do that in unity. We're better together. The Bible says, Jesus says, that we will be known uh, in the world as his followers because of our love and our unity. Our love and our unity. He says that a house divided cannot stand. We are better together. If you have ever seen folks accomplish big things in life, whether it's uh, parenting or um, earning a degree or even someone accepting uh, a Grammy award, you generally hear them say something along the lines of, "I couldn't have done it without." And then they list off a bunch of people who helped them to accomplish that. And in the church, we know that we are better together. We're unified. And the third theme or sub theme that you see is the specific context of third John It has to do with hospitality. So the mission was that there's missionaries who are going out in Ephesus. John is addressing some conflict that there's disunity in the church. He's going to commend some for doing well and and one for not doing well And, and this whole uh, this whole scene plays out in the context of some were welcoming missionaries in, some were not, and it was dividing the church. And so there is four characters involved that we're going to see in these fifteen verses tonight. First one is John. Of course, he's the author. He's the the spiritual father to these people. He loves them. He wrote First and Second John, and he writes Third John. The second is a man named Gaius. Now, Gaius is the good example. He, he's the recipient of this letter. And he is one who had missionaries come through town or through his house church area, and he welcomed them in. He took care of them. And so tonight, John's going to applaud him. He's like, this is good. There is someone doing it the way that it should be done. This is awesome. So Gaius, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. We want to be like Gaius. The third person is Demetrius. Now, he's the one who's taking this letter from John, wherever he's writing this from, and taking it to the house churches in Ephesus. He's also believed to be a traveling teacher or a missionary. So he's, he's got some uh, skin in the game because he knows what it's like to be welcomed or not welcomed by churches. And sometimes Christians can be kind of mean to each other. I don't know if you know that or not. And, and so he, he's one who has been either welcomed or unwelcomed in various homes. And he's, um, he's going to carry this letter. And then the last person, he he's a bad guy. He's, he's an elder in the church in Ephesus, and he's the reason there's conflict. It is that he wants to do his own thing. He doesn't want to welcome missionaries as they come through town. He doesn't care about the big picture of the church, and he, uh, he's causing some trouble. And John writes this letter to rebuke him. And so, as we walk through this tonight, um, I want you to look at yourself, and how you view yourself in relation to the church, the people around you, the people in the local church, whether you consider yourself a part of Crosspoint or another local church in this area, we're all part of, of the church. Do you view yourself as uh, maybe someone on the outside? Maybe you like the teaching, maybe you like the coffee, maybe you like the music, and you come and you enjoy blessing from the church, but you don't really have relationships in the church, you don't really serve the church, You you don't have real connection in the church, or maybe... Maybe tonight you find that you view yourself as someone who is in the church, that you are blessed because you you get to serve the church, and you link arms with people, and it's not just about your ministry, but the ministry, and you get to do this unified with other believers. Or maybe, and this is the scariest one of all, you view your relationship with the church as kind of indifferent. You just don't really care. Like, you don't think much about it. Serving hasn't crossed your mind. Um... You're glad there's a church, you're glad you're here tonight, uh, but you don't think much about being part of God's church. Because as it's been said uh, long before I say it right now, the, the church doesn't have a mission as much as the mission has a church. We are a purpose-filled people. So this short letter is going to help us uh, tonight to get excited about linking arms with one another and being a part of a much bigger mission. So... Let's jump in first, or excuse me, 3rd John, verses 1 through 4. It says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. So the elder being John, he addresses himself in 2nd John the same way. We believe more than likely uh, this, is, um, this is John, son of Zebedee, best friend of Jesus. To the beloved Gaius. If you remember in 2nd John, he wrote to the lady or to a church, and he addressed a group of people. Now he's writing this to a specific guy, Gaius. Remember, he's the good guy. He did. He does things well. Whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So common um, Greco-Roman intro is that you wish them well, health-wise. Um, but as a spiritual father, he says, listen, before we even get into any of the drama, any of the conflict, I care about your soul. It's good to have people in your life who care about your soul. Not just what they can get out of you, not just uh, how you can help them, but... They care about your soul. They care about your soul. And he does. For I rejoiced greatly, or in the Greek, I had great joy when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. So people have come and said, Gaius, he's doing well. There's conflict in the church, but we want to tell you what's going on. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. So he says, Here's a good example. It's Gaius. He's doing well. I love you. you, you you're, you're my child in the Lord, and I care about you, and I want you to know um, some instructions for this conflict. Verses 5 and 6. Beloved. Anyone ever called you beloved? Talk about a, a greeting, right? Like to, to say, Over and over and over through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Beloved, dear children, little children. He greets them over and over. He says, before we even talk about anything, you need to know I love you. You need to know God loves you and and, and I love you. And that's going to be our foundation for everything, everything. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay, first thing we learn about partnership and God's mission is that partnership takes effort. It takes effort. He says, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. So this this was something they had to put some work into. This is hard in order to link arms with other people and to get out of your own way to get out of your own uh, little world and to bless other people. It's going to be difficult for these brothers, strangers as they are. So these, again, if you don't know the context, this probably doesn't make much sense. These are the traveling teachers, traveling missionaries, who, who are trying to advance God's kingdom, and they're going through Ephesus. And he, Gaius, said, man, I'll take them in. I'll house them. I'll help them. I'll love them. It probably was not convenient. Certainly probably got him out of his comfort zone, right? Strangers? Strangers? How many of you want a stranger living in your house? How, how many of you, let's be honest, when we were talking X amount of months ago, the hot topic was the Syrian refugee crisis, and you wanted to be like ultra spiritual, and so you're like, man, it's not just about who comes in the country or who comes in, the, and I'm not just gonna give my opinion, but like Christians should really be like really welcoming them into their home. like what scripture says. And then you thought about it for a split second, you thought, oh my, what would it actually be like to take a stranger from another country and just open my home to them. Like, that's scary. But Gaius does it. Gaius does it. That's awesome. We need more Gaius. He says, these brothers, strangers as they are. So it's hard and it's inconvenient to be hospitable. And he says, you will do well... To send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What does that mean? A manner worthy of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus shows us the above and beyond of generosity. Like God has given his son. He's given all of his son. He's given his son and his entire life to the point of death. And, and so that's our background. That's our framework for any hospitality we have. We recognize, you know what? We welcome people in because Jesus welcomes us into heaven that we go to people, that we do hard work, that we love people, that we go above and beyond, because that's what God has done in sending his son for us. And so that changes things. A man are worthy of God. You'll do well to send him. So it's not only hard, it's not only going to get you out of your comfort zone to bless other people, it's not only inconvenient more times than not, but when you send him off, go above and beyond. Go above and beyond. It takes effort. God's saying, and John is saying, you know God wants partnership of all kinds. You can bless someone financially, a missionary, bless them. You can pray for someone, pray for them. You can welcome them into your home, do it. You can, you can provide for them. You can, you can send them off in a manner worthy of God, give them supplies, help them, walk with them. Do whatever you can to bless what God is doing in other people that's what the church looks like. So often we think that the church is shown primarily through missionaries who go and proclaim the gospel, and God' saying, "Hold on, that's true, but the church is shown, and my love is shown, and my grace is shown to the world just as much in the other Christians who support them in that, who say, "You know what? Maybe I can't do exactly what you're doing right now, but I can bless you along the way. And maybe I can come in other ways and support and help you. I mean, you think about it, God's mission is for every person all the time. And, and the truth is, some people are going to be able to get up and go across the world and, and tell some about Jesus. But if you're 80, 90, 100 years old, or if you're bedridden, should those people feel guilty? Should, should little kids under their parents' authority, who ain't going to be traveling the world for something like, do, should they feel bad that they can't participate? And God's saying, you can participate in mission in a whole bunch of different ways. And all through your life, it's going to look different the way that you can. And however you can, do it. Do it. It might be you going. It might be others that you bless. But you've got to go out of your way to help people. you got to go out of your way. You say, listen, I, I get it. This is good. I know it's hard. It's inconvenient and whatnot. And if God gives me an opportunity, then I, I want to take it. And at most, many of us will just pray that if there's an opportunity in front of my face, God, please give me the courage to take it. And that's a good thing to pray for. But God's saying, maybe you should not just take the opportunities in front of your face. Maybe you should actually look for them and get way out of your comfort zone and, and really go after something. You know, Gaius, he went above and beyond. You say, but you don't understand, Pastor Ryan, because my schedule is crazy busy. I know. Everyone's is. But who who made your schedule? We live in America. We are blessed beyond belief. Most of the people in this room and listening to this online probably have decent to really good jobs. And if you have a job at all compared to the rest of the world, it's, it's probably in the category of really good. we choose man, who who we're going to marry, having kids or job. There's so much that we have say so in and we can't turn around and say, you know what, God, I made a bunch of decisions for my life, but now I've pigeonholed myself, bottlenecked myself to where I can't really do any kind of spontaneous ministry because I got myself in this position. And God's saying, You're turning around saying that you you spent all your time and effort getting yourself in a position that has stopped you from ever serving me in the way that I designed you to. How's that God's fault, right? That's something we got to look in the mirror and say, have I put myself in a place to where I, I am so busy that I wouldn't be able to look for an opportunity, even if it was right in front of my face, because I would be overwhelmed at the idea of anything else. Of course, we know that mission isn't always just doing something outside of what you're doing now, but it's doing what you do now with intentionality, right? We can be missionaries at work, at home, all the places that we already are. But what if there is something outside of here, outside of what you're already doing, that God wants you to do? Are you open to that? Are you open to that? We don't know if Gaius had a family, We don't know how much this hospitality rocked his world, but it was a source of major conflict in the church. He maybe took some heat from people. We're going to find out by the end of this letter, the guy against him and this idea of welcoming missionaries forced people out of the church. So maybe he had kids, maybe he had a spouse who were like, we don't know what to do with these missionaries. We don't know them. Who are they? It's not like you can do a Google background check on them. But it cost him something and probably more than likely cost his family, if he had one, something. got to look for opportunities and it's going to be hard it's going to take effort but but you got to understand that effort follows focus effort follows focus wherever your focus is then you put your efforts in but you don't put your efforts into things that you're not focused on do you effort follows focus and I, I'm careful to say what I'm about to say uh, because I don't want, it's not so clear cut and I hate to generalize it the way that I'm about to, but I think there's value in doing it. Uh, I think when it comes to focus for the average Christian, um, whether it's Crosspoint or any other church, uh, I see two different, um, two different roads and what marks each one of them is very distinct. And, and so I see the, the one who is focused on themselves, like they want Jesus. They, they proclaim faith in Jesus, but most of the activity in their life is self-focused. And, and they're consumed with their own drama, their own stuff. And if they were really super, super honest, they would say, man, I'm really just trying to get God to bless what I've got going on. I want them to bless the dreams and the career and the path that I've chosen for myself. And so they're in a constant turmoil, right? They're in a constant turmoil because they know God wants me to align with him, but I just want God to align with me. And so they they are frustrated a lot. They're confused a lot. They they are are discouraged, and they know that there's tension and turmoil that's not going to get resolved until they really submit to him. And they're always asking for prayer requests. That's really good, right? I know, like, on Sundays, they're going to have lots of prayer requests on the Connect card and that's good, and we're going to pray for them, but you know in the back of your mind, like if they don't submit and align with God, then they're not taking steps. And so you're going to get the same prayer request next week, and two months from now, and six months from now, and the drama might shift and change a little bit, but in general, they're marked by seeing the lack of power of God, and presence of God, and, and they don't know what to do. You say, gosh, that's harsh, Ryan. That's a good chunk of all the christians that come into any one of these churches that's a good chunk of them from a pastoral standpoint i say man i want to help you uh, i love you but like you you're just you're in just to get your quick fix of spirituality for a sunday and then maybe in a few weeks you'll come back and then you'll be having a whole bunch of drama and you'll throw it in you say i need prayer i need this i need this and this and but in between the days and the weeks fly by and you're not aligning with god and it's self-consumed self focus, selfishness. And God's saying, ah, you got to lay down yourself. There's a second group, though, and it's distinguished by several other marks. And it's those who are taking serious the, the call to lose themselves. Right? And, and they're going to gain life. And so they don't just understand that as theologically, I'm going to give myself to Christ and get eternal life, which is obviously very true. But even in the way they interact with others, they're thinking about others. They're looking for ministry opportunities. And they're just as busy as everyone else, but they've given themselves margin, right? They, they realize the most important thing isn't building my own kingdom. It's building God's kingdom. And these people are marked by joy and peace. And I see them all over. Some of them are sitting in this room tonight. And, and you can tell, even when they're physically not rested up, they're spiritually rested up because they're abiding in Christ. And they got something that most people don't have and and, and they see God's power and they experience God's presence and it's a completely different experience with God than that first group I mentioned these two groups make up the evangelical church and on one hand it's super exciting on the other hand it's super heartbreaking but it all comes down to where are you focused because your efforts follow your focus You're going to partner with other believers if you're going to care about God's mission. You've got to be focused on it. Let me let me read. I'm going to spend a good chunk of time in these first couple points, and then we'll we'll move quick towards the end. But let me read to you. Um, I, I'm I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Uh, I got this letter in the mail yesterday, and um, and it says Ryan, A.K.A. Dream Crusher sometimes you take what you can get sorry nickname never mind (laughs) I wanted to write to you and let you know that we love and are praying for you Uh, your leadership and vision for Crosspoint Salina is so simple yet powerful as long as you remain abide and stay with the Holy Spirit your impact in my life has encouraged me to dig deeper into discipleship to continue I continue to remember one thing you told me you said it's easier to make disciples of fill in this person's name, Then disciples of Jesus. And please pray that I keep working out that since it is difficult for me to remain steadfast when making disciples becomes difficult, know that I am praying for you for Crosspoint Salina's impact in Salina, that every person at Crosspoint Salina would be presented with undeniable opportunities to share Jesus with someone and that they would have the courage to follow through. And then at the end, they write, P.S., and this is crucial, I wrote this while flying a plane through a thunderstorm. Sorry about the handwriting. So, so let, me, let me, context. Doesn't live in the state of Kansas anymore. Hasn't been part of the local church for quite a while here at Crosspoint. Of course, they go to another church somewhere else. They fly planes for a living. They're going through a thunderstorm. And they say, you know what? I'm going to encourage my pastor back home. That made my day reading that. But what really made my day was the fact that that was not convenient. That wasn't just like, well, I've had eight hours of just doing nothing. I could go back to bed or I could just, you know, like write a letter. Like, no, I'm flying a plane through a thunderstorm. And yet I'm going to encourage someone that I probably won't see for quite a long time. you got to understand as Christians... Ministering to others and partnering with other believers is hard and it's inconvenient, but we look at hard as good and inconvenient as opportunity. And some of the greatest inconveniences in your lives are really the greatest opportunities to, to make a powerful ministry-related impact. So what's God? Let me challenge you. What opportunity do you have that's maybe not right in front of your face? It's off to the side. Has God given you that you need to put some effort into? It's going to be hard. But he's saying, walk over there. Step into that. It might be huge. Verses 7 and 8. For they, this is the missionaries have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Second thing we see, partnership takes effort, and partnership accomplishes the mission. He says, for they have gone out. So the missionaries themselves have put themselves out. Like they left family, they left kids, they left spouses, so they have been sacrificing for the sake of the name. What name do you think we're talking about? Anybody? Jesus. Yeah, for the sake of Jesus. And and accepting nothing from the Gentiles, most believe that these little house churches around Ephesus were made up of primarily um, Jewish folks, and so they're taking the gospel to the non-Jewish folks, and the people they're there to bless, the non-Jewish folks, are called Gentiles. They're saying they 're not taking pay from them they're not taking help from them, so they're sacrificing as be, they're leaving their families they're on mission, and they're not taking pay from the people they're blessing. So just know that these people you want a house in your home that you want to show some hospitality to they've sacrificed a lot. He says we ought to support people like this. we ought to support people that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see like like I said earlier. There's a lot of ways to be on mission. Sometimes you get to be the one preaching the gospel. Sometimes you get to be behind the scenes supporting the one who preaches the gospel. So sometimes you realize God has given the church many different gifts, and they're all to build up the church and to work hand in hand with each other. You've got to realize, no matter how I partake in it, I just want to bless the mission. I just want to further the mission. And the mission is as much sharing the gospel with someone as it is supporting the one who's sharing the gospel. Because God's body isn't divided. It works as one. And it shows his grace and his beauty. You and I know that partnerships, they accomplish mission, don't they? We don't have to be convinced of it. If you want to build a house, then you probably need to partner with a contractor and more than likely partner with a bank or a financial institution, right? If you want... To not make supper tonight, then you need to partner with Chick-fil-A, right? Or or McDonald's or Taco Bell. you got a partner. If you want love, if you want to find a a spouse, what would the world say? You need to get yourself a partner, right? A partner. So we, we know that partnering isn't necessarily bad. The question is, is the mission good? So partnerships help accomplish mission, but is the mission good? And if you care about the kingdom of God, that mission of God's kingdom expanding, his spiritual kingdom on our physical earth expanding, then you're going to care about partnership. You're going to care about linking arms with other believers. You see, corporately or churchwide, we call this silos, like if I meet together with uh, the leadership team at Crosspoint Salina and, and we've got kids ministry and worship ministry and tech ministry and youth ministry and all these different ministries, it's my job to make sure that we're not siloing. In other words, that one person isn't uh, trying to get you know, um, the church to bless their ministry while another wants the church to bless their ministry, and we all kind of fight against each other to see whose ministry can, can bless. It sounds crazy, but it happens all the time. Luckily, at Crosspoint, we've been able to... Attain that from an individual standpoint to focus on your own little area of ministry, although important at times, but if it's all you ever focus on and not how to bless other people's ministry, then that's just selfishness, right? But it's crucial that you realize you can't be focused on your own little Plot in the kingdom of God because the mission of God is always bigger than one person outside of Jesus. It's always bigger than one local church. It's bigger than Crosspoint. It's bigger than any multi site church. It's bigger than any denomination. God has designed his mission that it is so big because the world is so big and there's literally billions of people in it that we as the church have to come together if we want to accomplish something bigger. But you've got to link arms. So so it's crucial that we understand that many ministries are needed for the gospel to go across the world. You see in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4... Paul, he, he was getting on the Corinthian church because they were saying, we love Paul speaking, and some of us love Apollos speaking, and even Peter was speaking. And he says, listen, one of us, me, I, uh, Paul, I plant the seed, and Apollos waters the seed, but it's God who grows and, and uh, does, has the harvest. He said, we're all part of this thing together. Stop worrying about just one ministry, but focus on the ministry, the whole thing. The fact that God is the one growing and harvesting this thing, and we're just servants but all of them are needed all of them are needed let me let me be um let me be a little a little vulnerable here i know that's odd i don't share personal stories right no that's that's um that's something I do, but this one, I, I want to make sure that my heart comes out right because this isn't meant to be bad, right? This is, this is supposed to be an uplifting uh, story. When we started Crosspoint, we specifically uh, wanted to be simple because we knew if God was going to expand and we're going to have many campuses and we're going to take the gospel, that we had to be um, simple and reproducible, Right. And it's something that um, we strive for. And one of the things we focus on, many of you know, is grow groups. We put time, energy, effort into grow groups because we believe grow groups don't make disciples. But people given an avenue like that can disciple each other. And we think, OK, let's move people to grow groups. And some campuses have this Wednesday night thing called cross training. Uh, but prior to me coming here, I talked to Andy. I talked to Eric and we had interviews and I said, listen, I know I'm called to preach and teach. Um, and I, I believe I got to do that. What does that look like to be a campus pastor and do that? I said, Well, you can start cross training if you want. How it goes, who knows? But like you can you can start a Wednesday night thing. And so I got here, and I felt kind of awkward because I didn't want it to take away from grow groups, right? Because ministries kind of compete for people's times, unfortunately, their time. And so we started it, and at first, if you remember the first six months of cross-training, I was always talking every week about grow groups, grow groups. If you're not in a grow group, make sure you're in a grow group. But we realized in grow groups, especially with kids running around, sometimes you just can't get super deep in the Bible. And so we thought, Wednesday night has its place. And then, this is where I'm being a little bit vulnerable, Then we saw as numerically things started to grow for this Wednesday night thing, then it started to kind of plateau, even decline a bit. And, And even in the last four or five months, we've seen, man, there's not as many people here as there were maybe a year ago. And I'm super thankful, obviously, for those of you who are here, and I hope that you're being blessed and encouraged by this ministry. But deep down inside, my my pride is kind of taking a hit, and and this is a good thing. This is a healthy thing, I hope you know. And and, uh, I'm thinking to myself, I've never been a part of a preaching ministry of any kind that wasn't growing numerically, right? We go out to Utah with just a couple of us, and then it grows. We go to Hastings, Nebraska with just a few of us, and it grows. And I come here, and there's lots of people to pick from. It's like, well, there's a couple hundred. This will be great. Wednesday night, I think it'll, it'll be good. And it grows, and then it kind of just stays, and it kind of declines. And then you, you even throw this on. So then we we have this idea of the women's ministry, and some women in the church are pumped up, and they're excited about this BSF, this Bible study fellowship thing. And, and I hear stories about internationally, like, Hundreds and thousands of women come to this, and they dig in deep in Scripture, and they love it, and, and they grow, and they mature, and it's like, this is good. And so I said, yeah, let's do it here. Let's let's get this thing rolling. But deep down in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, cross-training is kind of taken a, a dip, number-wise. And, and the ladies are pretty pumped up about that Bible study. And it's basically like the same as Wednesday night, except, let's be honest, maybe a little better. And then, and then... Even my wife loves it, and she's like so excited about it and, and and i'm thinking to myself, what if what if it gets to the point where we we don't do Wednesday nights, and ultimately, for the sake of the church, like if that was what was best, I would definitely do that. But I had a couple weeks there where I really struggled inside there's that old question they like to ask preachers: What if God wanted to start revival in this city he wanted to 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 do something incredibly powerful, but he didn't want to use your local church. But you ministered in. Would you still be okay with that? Because you see, there's pride under a lot of banners that are called ministry. And God wants to know, is your heart pure? Do you want every ministry that's of God to be blessed? Man, I struggle. Ultimately, I thought, you know what? Here's the thing. Just like Paul and Apollos and Peter. Man, it, We want to make disciples. And realistically, something like that Tuesday night thing has way more capacity for growth long-term than even what we do on Wednesdays. And and I'm going to support them, and I'm going to pour into them, and, and we're going to do whatever we have to because ultimately the mission is bigger than any specific ministry. Does that make sense? Now that's me in my life, and that's us corporately, but even on a personal level, look at what God's doing in you to really, truly be kingdom-minded, let me challenge you. Maybe you need to take a step back for a season and you need to come underneath someone else's ministry. You need to support them. You need to strengthen them. Ask yourself, how can I bless, encourage, support what God's doing through someone else as much as I care about what he's doing in me? Sometimes that means humbling yourself and pouring into your family who maybe you've given up on for a while. Or your coworkers, or someone else in the church that's got a ministry, and you were thinking about maybe doing this ministry thing, but like they they for what you just feel, man, I need to come, I need to support them, I need to strengthen what God's doing there. As long as it advances and accomplishes the mission, let's do it. Let's humble ourselves and do it. Verses nine and ten. We'll have to move quick through these last six or seven verses. Verse nine. I have written something to the church, but diatrophies, diatrophies, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. All right, now a new character enters in. We see this is what disunity looks like. So, don't be like Diotrephi. He is the guy who is causing some disruption, some disunity. And it says several things, because we don't know much outside of this short passage about this guy. But he was obviously some sort of elder leader in one of these house churches, and he had... Something written to him. Many many believe that this is just a letter that we don't have um, from John. He he wrote something to him, but it says that this guy likes to put himself first. So he's got some pride issues. He says he doesn't acknowledge our authority. So he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he he lacks submission. He's got some insubordination issues. He says he's talking wicked nonsense against us. So he's slandering. Some of your translations might say that he's gossiping wicked things about us. He says he refuses to welcome the brothers, so he's unwelcoming and he's hostile towards other Christians. He says he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He influences and manipulates and forces people to go along with his misunderstanding of the gospel and how to treat people. So let's dig in just a little bit deeper in that. Here's the five marks of Diotrephes. Number 1 there's questions for you in here because you might not think man I'm uh, I'm causing disunity or I'm hindering God's mission in the church but here's five characteristics that you got to check yourself in number 1 pride do you think your way is best do you think your way is best some of us we we think well if I'm not speaking out against someone else's ministry if I'm not speaking out uh, against what God has given church leaders or other leaders in my life, then, then I don't have much pride. But sometimes holding that in your heart, holding the belief that, you know what? I could do it better than them. I think my way is best. You know what? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. We think somehow we're good. But God's saying the fact that it's still in your heart, the fact that you've got pride in your heart, thinking your way is best, is going to stop you from ultimately submitting to the Lord, and it's going to hinder you from submitting to what? Those in authority agree upon. Do you think your way is best? Number two, do you lack submission? Let me ask you a question. Who do you submit to? I remember years ago when I was mowing lawns for a living, I was 22, 23, 24 years old, somewhere around there. And I remember um, taking a verse like this serious, thinking about submission. And I asked myself this question. Maybe the Holy Spirit asked me this question. Ryan, who do you actually submit to? And I thought about it and I thought, well, I don't submit to my boss because I am my own boss, and I don't really submit to stuff at the church because I'm just not plugged in. Like my lack of involvement shows that I'm not really submitting much to it. And I looked and I looked and I looked through my life, and I thought, I don't really listen and obey anyone on earth. Uh, that's kind of weird. I don't have a boss to much. I don't have, and, and I realized pretty quickly. God, through physical authority, people on earth, if you go back and read Romans 13, you'll see it as well. Even wicked rulers who, who require submission. If we, can't, if, we, if we can't submit to physically people on earth, then you're probably not submitting spiritually to Jesus as Lord. And I think some of us are deceived. Ask yourself, who do I actually listen to and obey? And if you don't have anyone in your life you can point to, that might be a red flag might be a red flag. Number three, slanderer. What do you say about other people? What do you say about other people? This is crucial because this guy, he was talking bad about John. He was talking bad about the other elders. What do you say? When when you find yourself uh, having conversations at work or around the church and people get brought up, certain names get brought up, Do you paint people in a positive light? Do you lift them up? Do you encourage? Or or do you say things that in your heart you know, if they were were here right now, I'd be in trouble. Like this isn't appropriate. If someone said what I just said about them, if if someone said that about me, I would not be okay with that. Is that a pattern in your life? If so, you might be causing some disunity. Number four, are you hostile? (laughs) Flip question, what do others say about you? This is crucial because most of us lack some self-awareness. One of the key traits of of next level leadership is great self-awareness. Self-awareness is hard to have. Sometimes I don't even perceive how I come across. Eric told me the other day, Pastor Eric, who's got his office downstairs, he said, hey, man, good Friday. Sermon was good. Everything's good. You know, it's always good, whatever. And he said, but man, you come across so mean from the stage. I'm like, what are you talking about? Knew I kind of knew like in general how I come across. He said, "You look like, like that seventh grade boy who puffs up his chest." And he was like, "Come on, come at me, bro!" Like and like like that's how you preach. And so like this week he's been walking around and he 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 says I do this thing where I, I put my my finger on my mouth like like bring it like who 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 wants to who wants to fight like right now like he says I do that from the stage and he was making fun of me and we were laughing about it. But I was thinking, man. I don't realize how I come across. You might be a little more hostile. You might be a little unwelcoming and you don't even realize it. Are people attracted? Do they want to be around your personality. Do, do you have so much of a front up eh, that, that people can't even see the Holy Spirit in you that exudes gentleness and love and, and kindness? And last but not least, manipulator. What do you influence others to do? Think about the people that you talk to and give advice to. In the church, do they walk away from conversations with you and want to follow Jesus more? Are their affections for Jesus stirred after they've talked to you? Or are they depressed? (laughs) Are they frustrated? Are they constantly saying, huh? That's kind of a weird conversation I just had with that person. We influence people all the time. Do you influence them for Christ? Or do you influence them for... Anything else? Because anything else is kind of like this guy. That's scary. Some of us, it's so subtle, we don't realize it. We sit down with someone, and we think we're giving them good advice, but if we had to sum up really what we're telling them, we, we tell them things like, you know what? Just follow your heart. Word says <laughs> our heart is the most deceitful thing above all things. Well, just just follow your gut. The Bible says, "Don't follow your flesh. like, come on man. well, just hey, you know, go, go with what you, you think is right and trust and go when you got dreams and goals, and just yeah, walk in them and have some faith in them and'm and, and, and God's saying, "I didn't say that, but in the world's perspective, you're giving good advice, but from God's perspective, you're just giving worldly advice. How do you influence people? Those two verses are so good, I'm going to preach them twice. Verses 9 and 10. There's one other part that I want to mention. So we saw the characteristics, the five marks of someone who causes disunity. But you also see this. John says, I have written something to the church. So there was something went out that was written to the church saying, hey, welcome people. In verse 10, he says, so if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. So John's saying, if I got to go out of my way, I want to come see you. But if I come here, we're going to have to talk about this. We're going to have to take time and talk about this. And then last he says, he also stops those who want to. So the church isn't moving moving forward. Some are welcoming these missionaries and some are not. But you're not moving forward. So the fourth thing we see is that disunity slows progress. It slows progress. You ever um you ever been in a relationship with someone where at first it was fun? Like, like a boyfriend or girlfriend, it was exciting. Maybe you fell in love and it was good. And then after a while, it might be months and it might be years, you find yourself mostly consumed with arguments and disagreements and just little bickering and, and it's like a cycle. And you get to the point where you're like, I'm in love and so I'm in this and I don't want to necessarily jump out right now. But like my daily life is miserable with you. You ever been there? And you get so consumed with it that sometimes, like you, you get to the end of a day and you don't even realize, like, what did I do today? All I remember is this text message and this text message, and then the phone call that lasted way too long because they were sad and I was mad and we were fighting and they're whatever. Like you just, you're just like, "I'm, I'm consumed with this relationship. But you know, at the end of the day, it's marked by one thing: it's not moving forward. It's not moving forward see, disunity stops progress in relationships. It stops progress in mission. How many of you have been a part of, well, don't answer this. <laughs> how many of you have heard about churches that have maybe like congregational voting and there was a big dispute and some deacons got mad and some other people got mad and there was some fighting and for like days, weeks, months, years, that's what that church was known for. It was inward bickering. Now, how many of you, again, don't answer this, also know that same church in the same time frame as being a church that accomplished the Great Commission in great ways, that they were making great progress in advancing the kingdom in this city and around the world. No, you don't, right? You see, because big picture, disunity is an issue because the body of Christ can't be divided. There's only one Jesus. And he, uh, his testimony is going to be hurt when you and I have disunity, right? But on a very, very, very practical level, disunity is an issue because if you are caught up in a relationship with someone or the church as a whole, bickering and fighting and and having conflict, you're not doing the things that really matter because you only got time for one thing. And it slows progress. You can't be focused on reaching people out there when there's fighting in here. I think... um, You look at church history, and um, you'll see this pattern from Acts chapter 8 all the way to today. When the church has been struck on the outside and is scattered, the gospel always spreads. But when the church is struck from the inside, the advancement of the kingdom stops. What I mean is, when when there's persecution on the church, when when we're bonded together and unified, and, and we're abiding in Christ, but the government... And whatever nation people come against and say, nope, we don't want Christianity. Get it out of here. And the culture pushes against it. The gospel with its back against the wall, God says, yeah, I said, oh, I'm going to save some lives. I'm going to transform some. So this is going to be great. And he grows it. The gospel spreads. But whenever the church says, you know what? We're, we're disunified. We have conflict. We're going to bicker. We're going to fight about things that don't really matter much. And this is what we're going to be known for. And, and We strike ourselves from the inside. The advancement of the kingdom stops. It always tends to happen that way. Let me ask you. Are you stuck right now? Do you know that God wants you to walk in a different way? He wants to move you to accomplish his will, to to make disciples, to do what matters, but you're having to deal with drama and junk all the time? You don't feel like you can actually make an impact for the kingdom of God because you're too worried about building and fixing and repairing the breaches in your own kingdom. Are you stuck right now? Let me encourage you. One step at a time. In the direction of the Father's will. And you can always, no matter how broken you are in this moment, no matter how crazy the situation is, you can always write. Now, tonight, take a step of faith in the direction of God's will. That's a beautiful thing. But you ain't got to get it together enough to then be worthy to take a step. But you ain't got to clean yourself up enough to then be able to take a step. But every one of us, no matter where we are, can always take a step. Last but not least, the last four or five verses. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. It's crazy that he... Instead of just saying the church, she says, friends, I I guess we should like each other, right? The friends. Last but not least, as we sum up the series, don't overthink discipleship. Don't overthink it. How many of you guys get in trouble on a daily basis because you overthink decisions? That you find yourself stuck because you just can't make a decision. You're indecisive. You overthink it. You see pros and cons and what happens if I do this and what happens if I don't do that. And so you end up not doing anything, which ultimately is a decision, right? First, second, third John, he has given a lot of instruction to the church. And on one hand, we could sit back and say, this is so overwhelming that I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. And he's saying, beloved, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. He's saying, you clearly see what's evil and what's good. Just imitate what's good and don't imitate what, what is evil. Just do it, right? Like, it's, not, it's not crazy. You guys are all confused. There's conflict. But you see Gaius, he was hospitable and he welcomed these missionaries. And then Diotrephes, he's over here saying, no, we shouldn't do that. And you guys are thinking, maybe that's right. And you're injured. Just take a deep breath, see what's good and just do it. Just do it. More times than not, any decision that you're in in life, you know. Half the time, people come into my office and say, I want to talk, I need advice, I need something. And I'll just start asking them questions. And one of the first questions I'll ask them is, well, what's God telling you to do? And they'll come in so unsure, so uncertain, and they'll very very clearly tell me, I think he's telling me to do this. And if it comes straight from Scripture, I know. <laughs> See, you knew this before you even came to talk to me, didn't you? And a lot of times with tears, they'll say, yeah, I knew what was right. I knew what I needed to do because of the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the rest of Scripture, the Holy Spirit. We know what we need to do, right? More times than not, any situation, you know what we need to do. You know what following Jesus looks like. We called this series, Follow Me, because in a world where people Where things, where dreams, all scream loudly, follow me, follow me, follow me. The quiet but strong voice of Jesus perseveres. And it rises above when all the other temporary voices fade away. See, John, his opinion matters. He was Jesus' best friend. He gave his life to follow him. He saw his life, he saw his death, he saw his resurrection. He saw all of the other disciples die. He knew of their deaths, and he's the last one standing. 40, 50, maybe even 60 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And he's still encouraging the churches, writing them letters. And he's saying, this is what it means, clear cut, to follow Jesus. He's given his life to it. Someone who's seen Jesus up close, that means something. That matters. His perspective is unlike any of ours. And yet he's standing back saying, seeing everyone, everything Jesus did, wrote in my first book in the gospel that all the books in the world couldn't contain all the things that I've seen him do. That's how it ends. Talk about a way to end a book, right? And now I'm telling you, I've seen everyone die and given their lives and following him. And I know I'm going to die soon, but I love you. And I don't regret any of this. I want to see you face to face. I want to talk to you. I want to affirm everything I'm saying to you in this letter. But I don't regret any bit of following Jesus. Don't overthink it. Wherever you are right now, there's always a next step. But there is a step in following Jesus. That's both the super scary thing (laughs) and both the wonderful, simple thing. Let's um let's wrap this series up with some prayer.